Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. What's the best way to fish like a local? What if you could book a trip with an experienced local guide with the click of a button? Now you can with Fishing Booker. Now anyone can access enjoyable fishing experiences anywhere. Take the legwork out of setting up that trip and explore more than 30,000 fishing experiences at your fingertips. Just go to fishingbooker.com to get started and book your trip with a local guide. That's fishingbooker.com. Fishing Booker. Fish like a local. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Hey, this is Tyler Jones, and you're listening to The Element Podcast. (laughs) What's happening, all my woods people? We are currently in Emory, Texas. It's a great day, man. It's uh, overcast. 101 is what it says right here, but I think we're actually more like 81. It's a, uh, it's pretty, pretty nice, man. This is a good reprieve from what we've been having. Casey, you look like you're ready for what, Tyler? I don't know. But I was thinking work. But. Uh, yeah, I'm ready for work. Um, not really, but yes. Uh, today's the last day of work before Boom. go to Colorado. Come on, which I. Am not like mentally there right now, which is kind of weird. The heck, dude. I think I've been so stressed out and just a bunch of stuff going on. I don't really usually get stressed, but my wife had surgery this week. It's a minor thing, you know, it wasn't like a uh, big surgery or anything, but she's still like at home and having to take care of her. And I, I just, I'm hoping that once we get in the car and head out, like I'll be, you know, just all like yeah. come to me. Man, I've been kind of struggling with that lately. I'm Glad you mentioned that because, like, uh, I feel like that I've struggled with that in the last couple of years. I don't know, like, where you just, like, whereas, like, used to, it seemed like when I had less responsibilities, it was, like, I could think about it and be juiced up about it and, like, feel okay. But now I'm, like, if I'm thinking about it and juiced up about it and planning for it mentally, then I'm not, like, giving my mental capabilities to what, like, the opportunity to make money for my family or whatever and it's like man it's a struggle it's like a internal struggle that i've had lately so yeah but i I think you'll probably come around when y'all hit the road man yeah i think that sometimes it might be a good thing for me right now because sometimes like (laughs) take for instance last year i was so keyed up on getting it done when we went to colorado and this year i have a little bit more of a uh laid back approach like i'm just kind of excited about the trip you know mm-hmm. and it, it might do me well 
Yeah. And going up there and not putting so much pressure on myself to actually kill something. So what are your expectations going in? Um, well, <laughs> I would like to make it to the National Forest. Yeah, that's, um, good. that's good. And then after that, you know, I want to see some elk, and I'd love to get a shot. But, like, this year, even more than last year. Like, last year I told myself this, but I didn't truly believe it. Like, I, I wouldn't have shot a cow on the first day. I think this year I'm shooting a cow on the first day if I get a chance. Really? Like, I mean, I just I want to go up there and have some success, and that's how much elk meat means to me. Mm-hmm. It, it is so good, and I just love the fact that you can kill something and feed your family, like, almost a whole year off of it, and it's, I don't know, that's what I'd like to do. Yeah. I would like to go up there and kill an elk this year. Yeah, that's cool, man. I, yeah. You know, like, I feel like... My experience last year, it was like um, we would have had an easier time killing a bull if spikes were legal. Oh, my gosh. You know what I mean? Like, we definitely had more bulls come in and, like, had more opportunities, shot opportunities at bulls, I felt like, overall. So, I feel like the cow thing is actually kind of a harder thing to accomplish, Mm -hmm. but with the spike rule, maybe not. You know what I mean? Like, so, but... Still, maybe in I the mean, past, it's kind of felt that way, yeah. Where, like, it was, uh, I mean, until last year, I hadn't hardly even seen cows, it was always just bulls. Mm-hmm. And you know, last year we saw quite a few cows, we're but, just running up into the middle of a bunch yeah, of cows for real. That's <laughs> just, yeah, a couple times I feel like mm-hmm. we just like were up in the herd, yeah, you know, yeah. and that was uh, probably why we saw the cows, but uh. I don't know. I, I hope that there's many elk around this year is what we saw last year. I think it's going to be much different conditions when we go up there. Really? Yeah, like the 10-day forecast right now shows no rain up there, and it always usually is halfway rainy mm-hmm. over there. So I'm probably going to take the tree stand and be prepared to do some wallow tree stand hunting. Okay. If I see the need, probably not going to go in there with that tactic in, like as something I'm going to do. But if I have to, you know, uh, adapt and, and, and try to make it happen whatever way it does. I go up there, and what I love to do is to call elk and talk to them and have them talk to me. That's the fun part, mm-hmm. you know. But mm-hmm. uh, And we didn't really get to experience that last year much. We had uh, that herd bull answering us, but he never came in or anything, yeah. you know. And it was so brief, man. That other bull that uh, drew on that surprised us, uh, he never made a crack. Mm-hmm. You know, he's just silent, yeah. running. Yeah, <laughs> scared me. I was telling somebody about that the other day, dude. I was like, I was actually telling uh, our buddy Eric about that yesterday. Yeah. And I was like, man, when when you hit that call and that bull started coming in, and like you were in a, you were like 15 yards from me and you couldn't see it. And so I'm like, <laughs> I'm like I couldn't, first of all, I couldn't talk. And I was like, come, come right here, right here. And so like, I, I let you know that. And then... I had like all of like five seconds to get the camera mm-hmm. on and I could not get the camera turned to power on. Like I could not, ha- <laughs> that was not happening. And I'm like, I'm like my hand's shaking. Oh, I'm man. like, I finally get it, get it turned on. And by the time I got that thing focused and recording, he had stopped at 28 yards pretty much. I mean, yeah. Like you can see, I think you can see it in that spiked out film that we made last year. Like, he takes like three steps, like, and then it focuses on him as he comes to a stop, kind mm-hmm. of. I kind of wonder if I, like, what I did was the wrong thing. 
was try to slow draw on him. Do you think I'd have been better off, like, as soon as you said bull, jerking the bow back and getting drawn? Or do you think I'd been better off not doing anything and seeing what he did? I mean, I think you, you needed to for sure see the bull before you drew. Yeah. Like, I, we talked about that at one point. You were kind of, like, down on yourself about, like, man, I should have just drawn when you said it, even though I didn't see him. But if he was looking at us when I said that, because I'm pretty, I mean, and you made fun of me about it a lot during the trip, but then you realize how easy it is to say right there, you know, so like <laughs> yeah. nobody knows where right there is, you know, like, but that's always your reaction. That's, that's what like, I do. Where? You're like, right there. Yeah, I'm, it, it's, it's usually just so that, you know, like something is about he's, to happen. He's close, bro, right? You know, yeah. like, so anyway, um, like you don't know if he's looking at yeah. us at that point or and not. And he so. probably was looking in my direction because it was crazy. What you and I are like 10 yards apart and that bull, like knew where the call came from. He yeah. was like headed straight at me. Oh yeah, you know. Yeah, I wonder if he would just ran me over if I'd have still been there. Dude, he might have just like brushed by you, thinking you were a <sighs> subalpine bush or Golly. something. Golly. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he. Uh, that was man. That was a cool experience for sure. And I uh, hope hope you get one get one this year, yeah. man. I mean, what's me what's too. been the hardest thing? prep wise for you um food was pretty easy yeah um what'd you do same kind of stuff we did last year uh, and I, yeah and i uh got you've been proud of me i've got six gallon baggies with all of my daily needs Dang so boy. just in the morning grab a bag and go ain't no procrastinating no, on this trip, do my best. <laughs> i want to give myself plenty of time to stand there and just look at my bag <laughs> <laughs> In days. That's what I want to do. Casey is a he's a morning stare. Yeah. I don't know if that's like an actual thing or not, but I'm gonna say I, that I it get is. up early. It's he does. Not, yeah. He's up freaking five thirty, you know, or whatever yeah, every day. I just like to stand there and he, not do much. He, he loves to, and he's like not like dead. Asleep, you know, like he's not like sitting there awake, but like asleep. You know, it's, yeah. he's like bright and awake. He just really likes to kind of slow move in the morning and just. <laughs> think about everything it's kind of like probably your reflection time yeah, you know, I guess. And like I focus preparation on what we got to do that day but yeah he uh, tends hardest, to stare at stuff hardest prep um well it's just been the mental thing yeah it's just like being there mm-hmm. like right now i'm like packing my lunches but i'm thinking about completely different things mm-hmm. you know See, i'm i'm kind of in that same boat a little bit with this this deer thing i'm you know i've been saying i'm probably going to kansas while you're gone but the more I think about it, I'm like, good grief. You know, I hadn't made that much money the last couple months, and it's going to be, you know, however many hundred bucks of gas to go up there. And it's going to be September, and it's going to be 90 the first day I get up there if I do go. And and there's a cold front coming in, but it's still going to be 82 or whatever, you know. And mm-hmm. and I, I look at it, and I'm like, man, my chances are slim. Maybe I should just stay around here. Um, there's a couple things that I could do that would be beneficial for me staying around here, you know, that I could do. And, and so like, I've got this mental struggle going on too, where I, I like, this is the time of year. Like I, I know I've been waiting for this for so long, but preparing, we've been buying gear, you know, but then all that is also the same in the same boat as like, I've been preparing, going out, checking trail cameras, spinning gas on that, you know, spending money on sticks and this, this and mm-hmm. that, you know, and arrows and setups and all these things. I'm like, it's also kind of detrimental to my mentality, I guess now, because I'm like, there's a deer standing right I there. Know, in there. guy going by in a ladder stand <laughs> on the back of his truck. <laughs> He's uh, getting ready for bow season, I yeah. bet. 
Um, but, but yeah, man, I know what you mean. And we talked about this earlier, but you know, for these out-of-state trips, like specifically Kansas, that's not going to be like a you go up there and shoot a buck if you see one. Mm-hmm. It's, that's like a money tag. That's yeah. like the you're going up there to hunt a mature deer, and you know, it's a good chance that you go up there in September and don't shoot a deer. I, yeah, you know, I. If I was you going on that hunt, I would go up there with the intention of not shooting a deer unless one forced me to. Yeah. You know, and that and that's not a fun thing to do whenever you're going to spend $100, $150 yeah. to go do that. Yeah. And that's kind of that's kind of where I'm at. You know, like I, I thought the same thing. I'm like, man, I'm probably not going to shoot one because it's just tough that time of year and, and I'm limited to where I can go and, yeah. you know, what kind of food sources I can hunt and all these different things. So, and to be honest, November in Kansas is fun. Yeah. You want to miss oh, out on that? I don't. Yeah. And I, I won't even if I tag out, cause we're going to go, you yeah. know, I'm sure. But like, I mean, you're right. Like there is also the excitement of having a tag in your pocket during November mm-hmm. too. I mean, you never know when Muy Grande shows up, you know? So, I don't know. I it's feel like one of they call them Muy Grands in Kansas. Yeah, well, they, they might call don't... them Crick Muy Grands. <laughs> they probably don't know how to pronounce Grande. <laughs> Crick Bottom Muy Grands. <laughs> we uh, oh, we were uh, in Montana on, with our guide on the Yellowstone River. Yeah. We were trying to figure out the Crick in Creek thing, and he, I don't, I still don't to this day understand his explanation. I think um, when something has a proper name, it's a creek, like, like Spring a Spring Creek. creek. <laughs> Is a type of thing, but whenever you like, you just see this water flowing. That's a creek. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or, so you could probably or call a spring. It, yeah, right? if you ran across a spring creek and didn't know it was a spring creek, it would still be a creek when you looked at it. Yeah, yeah. You know? Okay. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's one of those things. Like also, you know, like how Westerners count points on a deer. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's they they're confusing sometimes you know some of these other outer staters i really have no idea if brow tines count as points on mule deer or not <laughs> <That's what I'm laughs> like, is like it four by four a, a three main tines with the brow tine or is it a true four I think and it's there's a, still some brow tines I think, in there i don't know dude don't ask me we need to get somebody on the podcast to talk about that <laughs> yeah. though, for sure yeah. um yeah dude I, I i don't know for me like uh getting ready for the season here i'm Really, just uh, like I feel like I've got everything in place pretty much. I'm basically down to like just getting my camo um, in order and getting my bag, my backpack kind of in order because, you know, with the camera gear and stuff kind of makes it difficult. But Mm -hmm. you want to make sure you got flashlights, batteries, you know, headlamps and and, uh, all the essentials. And it's going to be like like last year. I feel like the first couple of hunts, we were like, oh, we f- forgot this stupid thing. You know, like there mm-hmm. was something that we forgot and it took us a couple of hunts to like get into it. So there's going to be that, you know, and Do you have my bow arm. Uh, I think so. I okay. think I saw it the other day. Because I haven't seen it. I'm pretty sure it's That's in my That's one backpack. of the things we got. Like or, it's in my tub. Okay. Yeah. Good. That's one of those things that like, yeah. they're easy to forget. Especially in, when in they make tree. them nowadays where, yeah, in a tree, <laughs> where they compact so small, you know. Yeah. I feel like. Your camera arm is easy to remember because it's big. Yeah. Your bow, for most people, is easy to remember. Last year, I actually drove off and left my bow on the side of the road and made it like 10 yards. I was like, oh, crap. <laughs> <laughs> I had to go back and get it. But. I know a guy left his shotgun 
you know him too, uh, left his shotgun leaning up against his truck and drove off and left it there for like a day mm. in, in like a public parking yeah. lot. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> I know a dude, same similar scenario, left his shotgun on his bumper, like laying there, drove off, never found it again. Brand oh. new shotgun. I took it to my granddad's house to show my granddad his new shotgun. <laughs> <laughs> Drove off, yeah, never found it. Dude, yeah. that's bad. Yeah. That's, uh, that's terrible. Well, Bill Winky is going to be our guest on the podcast today. Uh, I know you and I both have a lot of respect for Bill, and he has a lot of cool information today about shooting at deer, um, which... You know, seems it seems like no big deal. We practice in the yard every day, but a deer is a moving target. It's almost constantly on the move. And then, you know, you have to factor in string jump and all these things. And so, like, in particular, what we're talking to Bill about today is string jump. And um, I'm excited to see because he, um, I believe he's an engineer by original trade mm-hmm. or by schooling, right? And so, like, this guy's uh, super involved when he thinks about this kind of stuff and he tries to do a lot of research on his own via um, frames per second on his video and all these different things so he's he has a lot of uh, study time put into this so and this interview was recorded in march so there could be a couple of weird sounding things in there i don't even remember what's in this interview exactly (laughs) so i'm looking forward to hearing it myself Um, i guess are we ready to hear from bill yep all right let's do it all right, so now on the phone we've got writer, producer, property manager, and uh, I'd say star of the Midwest Whitetail. This is Mr. Bill Winky. How you doing, Bill? Good. How are you guys today? Man, we're excellent. We're traveling. Uh, we're actually going to do some fly fishing down in the hill country of Texas. Ooh. Nice. Where, where do you fish down there? Oh, there's a ton of rivers, but we're heading down to the Llano River uh, to try to catch our state fish, which is the Guadalupe bass. Okay. Yeah, so we... Uh, yeah, we do a lot of, my son and I do a lot of fly fishing during the summer, and I'm always looking for new destinations. Oh. So what is the Guadalupe bass? What's different about that? Um, it's, uh, it inhabits, you know, it has been inhabiting our waters down here in the hill country uh, for forever, and it's, uh, they're kind of a smaller, their mouth is a little bit smaller than uh, large mouths. Uh, they're very similarly colored, but they, in my opinion, have better coloration. They have more spots mm. and, and bars and that kind of thing. Um, Casey, anything you'd like to add there? Yeah, guads are they're kind of more football shaped even than largemouths get sometimes, and they're really cool. And guads down here are kind of a conservation story uh, because they they don't hybridize with largemouths, but they do hybridize with introduced smallmouths. Like we don't have native smallmouths to Texas, so uh, uh, of course you know the way fishing goes, everybody tries to spread every fish everywhere, and <laughs> <laughs> we had introduced smallmouths come in, I think in the early 90s, and uh, ever since then, it's been like a constant battle trying to keep a pure strain of guads going, so, uh, and right. our, our right. local DNR has done a pretty good job of making that happen for us, so we're kind of going to go down, do a little filming, and uh, just uh, go to a beautiful place and eat some good barbecue. Yeah, that sounds awesome, yeah, I wish I was going down with you. <laughs> Come on down. Interviews. Anytime, anytime. Well, it might be short notice. Sure. That's, <laughs> hey, we're all about the short notice thing. So, yeah, just let us know if you ever want to yeah. come down. It's a few hours from where we live. We'll pick you up at uh, DFW Airport and take you down there if you want. 
Yeah, that'd be a, a lot funner way to do a podcast than me standing in my office when it's 35 degrees out and it's supposed to be snowing here. That's Ooh, right. It'll man. be 91 where we're at today. So. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pretty warm. But uh, So yeah. let's go ahead and get to this because uh, I know your time is limited. Um, you know, this is something that you've covered in, in, on several different mediums over the last few years. And for the last few years, it's also perplexed me. Um, but we're talking about shot placement. Um, you know, this is maybe the most important part of the whole equation when you talk about harvesting an animal, in my opinion. So um, let's just start with this. If you knew that a target would not move a single inch, when where would you aim to kill the deer? Well, I think the, the old uh, formula that the, the bow hunters organizations have been teaching for so long, I mean, is, it holds 100% true on stuff that doesn't move. Uh, so, I mean, you're aiming on a broadside deer, let's say roughly a third of the way up uh, the body and maybe three inches behind the front leg, three to four inches behind the front leg. Mm-hmm. That's going to be center vitals, a little bit above the heart probably, but you've got a larger margin for error if you're not trying to shoot the heart um, because the lungs are plenty big enough. So that's going to be, that's your target, and if he's... You know, I always say if, if the animal is any butt broadside, what you're really aiming at is your exit hole. I know it sounds a little bit hard to, to visualize at first, but don't think in terms of, of the middle of the vitals, you know, one-third of the way up if the deer's quartering away or if you know, you're shooting more downward or whatever the case may be. You're really aiming for where that arrow is going to exit. Um, so keep that in mind because you want the arrow, obviously, to go right through the the center of the vitals. Um, so as the body angle changes, your aim point changes, um, but you're really aiming through the animal. Mm-hmm. Uh, does that make sense? Yes, yes sir. sir. Yeah, it sure does. And and to kind of, I guess, uh, tell you what spurred on at least my reasoning for or for wanting to talk to you about this, you know, y'all do a great job of explaining some of this stuff on Midwest Whitetail, but I had a personal instance, uh, I guess it was uh, 2016, 2016 season, where uh, we were hunting public land here in Texas, and I had a, a mature deer come in, and he was cruising fast, you know, and I had to grunt stop him at the end of my last shooting lane, and he was not a hard quarter two, but probably a true quarter two, you know, just kind of on uh, a quarter right to me, and um, he was on alert, 31 yards, and uh, I, I knew that and tried to place my arrow accordingly I aimed at the bottom of his front left brisket assuming that he would duck into it and I would get a a shot you know right down through into his vitals well that deer proceeded to jump my string as I kind of predicted but I had no idea what he was truly capable of he ducked about 14 inches and I shaved hair off his back you know and it's it's crazy to see what they can do especially when they're they're (laughs) on alert like that so uh, and I know that y'all kind of broke this down recently, but uh, can you kind of tell me maybe where I went wrong in that scenario or what I should have done or if I should have just waited on the shot or what do you think? Well, I think the, you know, in my experience, there's, there's a couple things we can hit on here. Uh, the first one is that the 30-yard alert deer, I think, is the hardest uh-huh. uh, because they're far enough away to have plenty of time to react, but they're close enough that the noise is very relevant to them. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. if, if they get, you know, and, and I'm not advocating long shots, but as the shots get longer, or, or let's say the animal gets further away, 
the noise becomes less relevant to them mm-hmm. uh, because it's not within that that really that danger sphere right. that surrounds them. So they may not react quite as aggressively. They might be more, I won't say curious, but you know the, the noise that comes from 50 yards away doesn't affect them quite as much as the noise that comes from 30. Um, but the other thing that, and, and we can come back to this. I mean, there's we, we got four hours of conversation on on that topic alone. But uh, <laughs> let, let's come back to the other side of that too, and and that is that the southern deer are a lot quicker. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've hunted in Texas a fair amount, and I've hunted all over the South, Alabama, Georgia, Mississippi, um, probably places in between, and and uh, typically the southern deer are like coiled springs. <laughs> um, compared to the the deer that we hunt up here in the Midwest, and we still struggle with that thirty yard, you know, that thirty yard shot with the with the alert deer. Mm-hmm. Uh, even here, uh, you know, it's just that down there, being quicker to react to the sound, they're just overall twitchier, uh, more nervous. Um, so factor those two things in, and uh, you got to, <laughs> you know, it sounds it sounds really tough to do but when the you know when the situation you know sets up like your shot there you have to aim off the animal um and you have to anticipate not only the drop but the turn Mm -hmm. Um, so it it becomes a lot more challenging um and and you're better off safe than sorry which means aiming off the animal uh which is you think about the situation you're in there the deer is going to drop and turn but he's going to give you, by the time the arrow gets there, more of a broadside profile compared to his slightly quartering toward. Um, so you aim, you know, just a little ways forward and way low. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And that way, by the time he drops and turns, you know, that area where, where you know, you expected, let's see, make sure I got that right. Um, I'm not taking the, the quartering toward alert shot, but... So as he drops and turns, you, you are going to be hitting further back on the animal mm-hmm. than what you expected and a lot higher. Um, so when you shaved here, was it over the top of the vitals or was it over the top of the shoulder? Or, yes, sir. Or? It was, uh, I mean, dead money as far as left and right goes. You know, he, he, he dropped and turned out. So my yeah. shot, you know, was, I mean, straight up above that line that you described earlier where you're trying to hit, you know, dead center vitals. It was just seven inches high or eight inches high to where it was just and it was it was such a strange thing where i'm not i don't advocate for spining a deer but uh my arrow hit him so perfectly in the v of where his neck meets his shoulders that if i would have been off left to right even two or three inches i would have spined him and he would have been lying there but uh, it just was perfect. It's like he knew the arrow was there, you know. And, and I guess that's kind of, I guess that was kind of part of my question too. Is that deer was alert, and not only looking, but he was looking up at us, at me in the stand because yeah. I had to grunt pretty aggressively. Uh, and I, I don't know. Have you had experience with deer actually seeing the arrow mid-flight, and that also affecting their string jump? Well, when you think about what they will react to, obviously if they're not looking at you, but you've stopped them and you put them on the alert, and now they're they know something weird happened, and they're trying to sort it out, but they're not staring at you. Mm-hmm. They probably aren't going to be quite as quick to drop as when they're looking at you, because now they've already seen something. It's like, oh, what is that? Um, and then 
they see the limbs move, they see the string move forward, they see this explosive movement in the tree, um, I believe that they're set off when they're staring at you as much by the sight as they are by the sound. And of course, they can, you know, the, the light gets there, the speed of light is a lot quicker, so they're going to see you way before they hear you. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I feel like when they're staring at you uh, and they're alert, that that's the worst possible situation. And, <laughs> and under that situation, you really have to be well low uh, because, you know, they're more likely to, to really, you know, start moving a lot quicker and that gives gravity more time to act, you know, as they're basically they're not ducking the arrow. They're not really trying to avoid the arrow like everybody thinks. Mm-hmm. All they're trying to do is load up their legs in order to run. You know, it's sort of like if you're standing with your legs straight and, and, and some danger occurs, you can't do anything until you drop down and get some spring into your legs to move forward. Mm-hmm. Um, th- that's all they're doing. Uh, so, you know, whether they're trying to evade the arrow, I don't believe that they necessarily are. I think they're just reacting to danger by wheeling away from it. And the first move is to load their legs as they're turning to get away. Um, so that, it's, uh, yeah, we could, I mean, there's so many scenarios and the biggest challenge we've got here with this whole thing is you're not, you don't have 30 seconds to evaluate what to do. You've got literally a couple <laughs> right. of seconds at the most, yeah. yes. yep. you know, so, so what, what can you do from a, a standard formula, you know, that you can do every time where you don't have to spend 30 seconds. We, we just spent how many minutes talking about that one scenario, trying to figure out what to do. Mm-hmm. You know, it would have taken you that long potentially in the tree to have said, oh, now I've got to do this because he's looking at me and he's, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. by mm-hmm. then, you know, he's two counties over, whether you shoot at him or not. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so uh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, so the, the real challenge is figuring out what you can do um, every time where the odds are going to fall into your favor at least most of the time. Mm-hmm. But when they don't fall into your favor, you miss. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'd, you'd rather have the odds, if, if the odds are going to fall bad, you'd rather have them fall bad by you missing than to fall bad by the arrow drop or the deer dropping and hitting them high in the non-vital area. Mm-hmm. So that's why I always say, if in doubt, aim even lower than what you think. That way, worst case scenario, you're going to miss low. Best case scenario, you're going to you know, get center vitals. Um, but that's, it's a hard thing to ingrain in people's heads because we are conditioned on the range to aim at the center of the vitals, and in some cases at the very center of the mass. It's a circle, mm-hmm. it's a pie plate, whatever it is, we aim for the middle of it. So the deer comes in, and we uh, naturally aim for the middle of it. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a really bad thing when they're alert. Yeah, that's a great, great tip there. Um, so... I played a lot of football, and our coaches all, all oftentimes would talk about uh, envisioning yourself making the play. And so this is something that you do during the week, um, and especially in the locker room prior to the game when you're just kind of uh, relaxing and maybe uh, reflecting on the game plan and such. And I think that – or I, I wanted to ask you if um, – that's something that maybe you do or that might need to be done by people um, would be like, you know, let's think of all the scenarios that could happen that I feel comfortable shooting at a deer in. 
and where would I aim and start to kind of train your mind to make that decision more quickly. Right. And I think that's super important. Um, the mental rehearsal will start to ingrain into your subconscious and, and you'll become more instinctive and you'll react correctly in that situation. You won't have to think as much. The problem is you, you got to think it through more than once or twice. Right. Um, and I think that's where most people stop and they go, okay, if the deer does this, I'll do this. And then they assume that when the adrenaline is pumping and the exciting moment is finally there, that they're going to remember to do that under that situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and if, I mean, I don't, um, I'll be honest with you. So I have to have a standard, if in doubt, you know, bail out, which is aim low. <clears throat> so the, I think if you could do that, where you could take every situation and visualize a deer in that situation multiple times, and then, you know, visualize your pin in the correct place, uh, visualize the arrow, you know, making the, the correct contact, etc. cetera. Uh, I think that'd be really useful because then you're more likely to instinctively do it, but you'd have to spend a fair amount of time because there's so many different situations that you'd have to visualize each one several times before it really got ingrained, mm-hmm. which is, you know, when you think about it, what would you rather do anyway but sit around daydreaming about shooting deer? Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's not a bad thing. It's just that most people, I think, aren't, they don't take it far enough um, in the direction of what you're talking about. Is They may just visualize a deer standing there, and they visualize their pin in the right place, and they shoot, and like, ooh, that's awesome. You know, and then they move on. Um, right. But it really needs to get ingrained. And there's so many different situations. Uh, I mean, we could walk through four or five uh, different scenarios where the deer would react differently. Sure. Um, yeah, let's uh, let's do that. I know it could take a second. If, <laughs> if you don't mind, maybe just – I know that most people are pretty comfortable – uh, and I think that this is probably also the range that deer can jump a string, but 20 to 40 yards, can you, can you run us through? I know you, and you guys did a video this spring that in regards to some of these distances and some of these scenarios. Can you kind of give us an overview of that? Yeah, and it's, it's really almost unlimited. You know, we can narrow it down to four or five different scenarios and, and come up with, you know, our strategy for each one. But Somewhere along the way, they have to fall into categories, and you have to be able to say if, you know, the, you know we're sort of similar to this, this is how we have to react to it. Um, but let's just say that a deer is walking past at 20 yards, and you grunt to stop it, and the deer um, stares up at you. <clears throat> Depending on where you're at in the country, uh, up here, I'm aiming center vitals, and I'm going to have no problem with that deer. I might even aim, you know, for the top of the heart because he's close enough I can hit that, that spot. Um, no problems at all for the most part with a 20-yard shot here in the, in the south. That 20-yard deer alert staring at you is still going to move mm-hmm. by the time the arrow gets there. So you got to aim probably heart, you know, middle heart. Uh, you wouldn't want to aim center vitals because you're probably going to end up a little bit high on some of them. Um, and and uh, so now let's say that the deer is 25 yards in the same situation, but now you stop him. And he's just, he heard it, but he doesn't look at you. He's kind of looking around like, what the heck was that? You know, I was just walking along, crunching through the leaves, and I heard something. What was that? Now, I don't know for sure what he's going to do. Part of the time he's going to drop, and part of the time he's not. It really depends on what's on his head, you know, or what's on his mind. If he's thinking about this doe that he was following or, you know, something like that. If he seems more or less distracted when he comes by, like he's in a hurry to get somewhere. But if he's on pins and needles already you know, then he's more likely to react, you know, at that when he's not looking at you and doesn't seem to be specifically focused on the, the noise that you made. 
but he knows something happened. He's trying to figure it out. So now you got <laughs> you're reading body language. You're reading, trying to read the mind of that deer. And this is where, like I said in that in that episode that we did, it gets really fuzzy because we got to make this decision within just a couple of seconds. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's more of kind of an intuition, instinctive kind of reaction. If he's not looking at me, and he just seems curious and looking around, and especially if he was walking along relaxed, maybe even following a doe or something, I'm still probably going to aim for the heart. Um, I'm not going to aim low on that deer. Um, but on the other hand, you know, now let's say that his reaction was that he was coming in kind of on pins and needles. Now he looks at me. He's 25 yards away. I'm off. I'm, I'm probably brisket line even uh, on, on that deer mm-hmm. because he's going to move. Um, he's given all the symptoms, you know, or all of the indications, you know, of, of a deer that's going to, at least drop and load uh, so now you push that out and you say he's 30 yards you go through those same scenarios one he's distracted one he's not when he's looking at you one he's not it's like you can run through you know like I said multiple different situations but at the end of the day you're trying to read his mind based on his body language and the tenser he is coming in and the tenser he is after you stop him or after he stops, he might stop naturally. You know, maybe he hits your ground scent, you know, and then he's like, oh, dang. You know, and you can almost see him lock up. It's like, oh, boy, I'm, I'm in trouble here. You know, now you've got a deer that's stopped that potentially is a string jumper as well because he's alert and he's trying to figure out what's going on. His senses are queued up. Um, he's more likely to jump the string than a deer that stops to eat an acorn at the same distance. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I would take the, the shot, let's say... <laughs> Like I said, we could spend hours, literally, um, <laughs> going through this. And at the end of it, we're going to really struggle to wrap our arms around it. And that's the unfortunate part about all of this. And that's why you have to have sort of a fail-safe position where, you know, you, you've got something that you fall back on, even though you realize that a certain percentage of the time, that means you're going to miss the deer. Mm-hmm. Um, you just have to accept that fact when you're, when you're shooting that deer. Sure. Well, you're so, going to have the same fact if you if you don't have, choose that aim point yeah. because a certain percentage a certain percentage of the time you're going to miss the deer over as opposed to under and yeah or you're going to hit them high and wound them and then that's no good exactly no. Yeah. yeah it's a terrible yeah. thing you know yeah. terrible so, feeling yeah so you're I would way rather have that built-in percentage favoring missing than that built-in percentage favoring wounding mm-hmm. um, so when it comes down to the decision of where to aim. You know, if in doubt, like I said, just go low. Um, and that's, you're going to feel really stupid sometimes, and I've done it on video. <laughs> I do often. You know, look really <laughs> yeah. You know, because people are like, well, he's 30 yards away broadside, and you flat missed him. Mm-hmm. Well, it's <laughs> not quite that easy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You sure. know, I mean, I thought he was, you know, so, so you know, you're going to feel dumb. You might even have one of the biggest year of your life get away, but, but because you missed it. But at the same time, isn't that better than having one of the biggest deer of your life get away because you hit him high? Yeah, mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, you know? I, and then you're trying to, yeah, you're trying to figure out whether he's going to die or not. That's just a really, really crappy thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, and you know that uh, I know the buck that's probably the one on your mind right now is the one that Caleb Byers shot at this year, and you know you could just feel yeah. for that guy watching, knowing that he did what he knew was right, and the deer just didn't react. And I know y'all discussed that in that well, recent and, video. And you can break that down. In Caleb's situation, you can say in light of all these other considerations, and granted, you know, I didn't have a 220-inch deer standing 
24 yards away broadside trying to make a rational decision. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so it's a little bit different when, uh, when you're, you're the guy in the tree. But if we break that down, that deer stopped but didn't look at him. He had mm-hmm. that curious sort of, you know, hmm, I'm you know, just out here for a walk during the rut, and I heard something. What was that? Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and then all of a sudden the arrow hits him below the heart. Um, you know, that, that was a body language kind of a scenario where potentially you could have read that deer's mind based on looking at his body language but you'd have had to have been very in control of, of, you know, what's going on inside your head at that point. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And but, I guess uh, lucky for Caleb, they they get to encounter deer like that fairly often. A guy like me, I, you know, I've, I've barely seen a 150 from the tree stand, so I don't know. <laughs> My mind would be on fire at that point. I don't know if I could even. Yeah, but no, it would be the same thing. Yeah. It's right. the same thing. You're, you're yep. one, I'm not saying that he's going to see very many 200s, but mm-hmm. let's just say a 170. You know, his 170 or 180 might be your 150. Yes, sir. Um, you know, so it's the same exact, uh, you know, mental meltdown that, that you'll get on that top-end deer mm-hmm. in your area versus the top-end deer in somebody else's area. I mean, the guy in Pennsylvania might be a really nice 125-inch two-year-old. Yeah, right. sure. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I wanted to ask you, you know, we talked about, you talked about earlier uh, envisioning your exit hole. Right, and that's kind of how you're you're shooting through the deer and seeing what the arrow path's going to do through the deer and where it's going to exit. Um, you do a, a majority of your your hunting from a tree stand. Uh, I know from from uh, watching the show. And um, do you try to hang your your stands at specific heights for good shot angles, or do you let the deer and the tree kind of determine what the height of your stand is and then deal with the shot angle accordingly? I mean, ideally, you'd be able to pull all of those pieces together. Um, I don't like to. I'm I, I, I'm uncomfortable above about 22 feet. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got a natural, you know, queasiness, fear <laughs> of heights. I guess you can call it. You know, yes, sir. But, um, once I get very high, it just the experience isn't as enjoyable for me. So I'm typically not going to get real high. But I know people who will go 30 or 35 feet up. <laughs> problem with that is when you got a 10 or 15 yard shot you're looking at a potential single lung hit um, and if i'm 18 to 22 feet you know somewhere in that neighborhood i'm probably still going to get double lung vitals on you know a 10 or 15 yard shot uh, so that's the downside of going real high is because the shot angle is so steep that it's really hard to get both lungs and you know you kind of another thing that you know we as bow hunters need to be responsible about is what is the probably the worst hit in bow hunting? Everybody thinks, oh, the paunch hit. Well, yeah, it's pretty ugly, you know, but the worst hit is probably the single lung because most of the time you're going to kill that deer, not always, but most of the time you're going to kill it and you're not going to recover it. Uh, you know, it's going to be a two-day deal, and, and you're just not going to be able to stay with that deer for two days unless, you know, you find him during the shed season or, you know, you bring in an antler or a, a tracking dog or something like that. Those single lung hits are by far the hardest deer to recover that are fatal. Uh, so that's why I'm not a big fan of those super high tree stand setup. Mm-hmm. There's obvious advantages to going really high, you know, with staying above their peripheral vision and keeping your scent cone, you know, well above the deer on the downwind side for, you know, as far as possible. But you give up that shot angle. Right. Uh, so to answer your question in a, in a, in a real quick way, you know, I, I do believe it's important to stay fairly low. Yeah, um, I just think you, you you have a lot better chance of making clean kills. So, I, this is this is kind of a two part question here, uh, but it's 
both in regards to wind, um, how does wind affect a shot at a certain speed and distance? Um, or how have you noticed that? And then also, um, you know, is there, um, is there an instance where high winds can kind of mask the sound of your bow and you don't have to worry so much about string jump? Yeah, I think so. I think, I think that's only in the case when the deer stops naturally. Because I think if you stop them and it's windy, they're listening right through all that background noise. Okay. Because now they're trying to identify the source of that sound. You know, so they're already cued. But let's say, for example, they're out there feeding or they're eating acorns 30 yards away and it's breezy and the leaves are rustling in the trees. Um, you probably don't have to aim, aim low in that situation. Uh, that would be my read. I mean, you still might go top heart or something like that. You know, you might not, you know, give away, you know, the, the, you know, the low part of the deer, but uh, you're much less likely to have that deer make a dramatic move because the noise that you make with the bow is going to be washed out by, you know, the background noise. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and when it comes to accuracy, uh, a crosswind, you know, a tailwind and a, and a headwind aren't going to have much effect. The only effect that's going to have any serious amount of, of movement on the arrow is going to be whatever percentage of that wind direction is directly across. So, you know, it can be as much as three to four inches at 40 yards. You know, if it's, say, a 20-mile-an-hour wind, the, the diameter of your arrow, the size of your broadhead and the size of your fletching, and the weight of your arrow uh, all will affect how much it drifts. Mm-hmm. So it's impossible to say... You know, this is how much it's going to be at this distance at this wind. Um, but you do, if it's really windy and you're taking a 40-yard shot, you really do need to account for that. But it's not something you want to invent while you're in the tree stand or in the blind. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's really that, you know, you yeah. want to practice that at least a few times in your yard to find out. Uh, so it's, it's, uh, it definitely has an effect. Uh, I shoot really small diameter arrows with small fletching and mechanical broadheads for a lot of reasons. Uh, but one of those reasons is it just reduces the amount of drift. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just aren't as affected from a crosswind. Right. Okay. So what's your favorite shot presentation? Are you, do you, I mean, cause my dad, he loves uh, slightly quartered away, uh, but some people will prefer, you know, pure broadside shot. What, what do you think about that? I think pure broadside is the simplest, you know, the, the quartering away might open up a little bit more vital area, but, uh, in the heat of the moment, you do have a tendency to, to aim on the entry side, uh, and you end up shooting too far forward. So I think the, 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 quartering, the quartering away, if the deer is really close, like five yards or, or whatever from the base of the tree, then I'd rather have the quartering away because then I can get liver in one long or something like that, you know, as my shot angle presents itself. But if... Uh, you know, if the shot is out there at a normal distance, let's say, you know, the perfect 20-yard scenario, uh, I think I'd rather have a broadside shot all day long. I just It just simplifies the aiming point. You're instinctively mm-hmm. drawn to the right point. You don't have to think at all. Right, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. You know, on the quartering away, again, you have to at least put some thought into where is my arrow going to exit. You know, so you're getting your, you know, your, your wound channel figured out in your head before you pull the trigger or let, let the string go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. And it's, uh, I, I like when you said the word instinctive because we all kind of strive for that uh, that point where not that you check out in your brain, but to where you know what to do 
as soon as it happens, you know, because like you were saying earlier, we only have split seconds of time to make decisions. And if you sit in the tree stand and try to deliberate too much, you're going to end up seeing a white tail running away. You know, it's just kind of the way it goes for us. And you're going to start second guessing and second guessing creates doubt and doubt is is your enemy uh, because that's going to create tension and then you're going to more likely to rush the shot or do other things that are detrimental. Um, you want everything to be smooth and kind of in rhythm and, and fit with what your brain is comfortable processing. That's why, you know, what you guys are talking about with all that visualization is super, super important. And it's not just for sports. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, like you said, that's a great example. But what we do, I think, is just every bit as important. Um, you know, I've done it before. You know, some of the stuff I did a lot more when I was getting into bow hunting than than what I do now. I've just seen a lot of deer, you know, and I've shot a lot of deer with all the does and stuff that I've killed over the years that, you know, the shots almost, you know, they, they almost, you know, take care of themselves now. But uh, I'm not saying 100% of the time. I still have these struggles with these string jumpers. But mm-hmm. I used to spend a lot of time when I'd get into each tree of, of visualizing the different uh, scenarios and, and just rehearsing. Okay, if the deer comes from this direction... Where am I going to stop in? What's he likely to do? You know, which pin do I use? You kind of go through, you know, maybe five or six different scenarios in that tree. So, I mean, you're sitting there for a long time. you got nothing better to do. You might as well just imagine deer coming in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it keeps you alert. It makes the time on stand more fun. Uh, you know, don't be looking at your phone because you're not going to see him when he comes in. <laughs> you're better off. <laughs> I've seen that happen. I mean, it's just, we don't want to get off topic, but that's, <laughs> that's not a, I've seen it happen way too much in the last couple of years, especially with our cameramen, mm-hmm. um, you know, getting, getting distracted. But so anyway, uh, spending your time really productively when the deer aren't coming by, you know, creating that instinctive reaction like you're talking about. Yeah, sure. So, uh, on that note, you know, uh, uh through watching you on some of your hunts and stuff, it really seems that uh, you do a great job of keeping your emotions in check uh, in the tree stand, both, uh, you know, like you said, uh, before the deer come in, then once a big buck comes in, uh, it seems that you are very good about staying even keeled and and executing the shot. Uh, Do you have any secrets to, uh, I guess, keeping your emotions in check in the heat of the moment? I don't think it's really that. I think that's an illusion that you're getting because you're good on camera. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you, I'll tell you what I do that, that kind of helps. But uh, I mean, I've killed a lot of deer and that helps thing that helps is that this is not life and death. What we do. I mean, it is for the animal, but it's not for us. And, sure. and uh, we make it more important than it really is. This is just something that we do for fun mm-hmm. uh, and put meat. We put meat on our table. If, if we didn't, if we couldn't afford groceries, then it would be a lot more important you know what what we do in the tree but it's a nice added benefit that we get to do something we enjoy and feed our families at the same time so i keep it in perspective um, i've screwed up a lot of really big animals over the years in my life did and i did not hate the sport so the power of failure kind of went away you know i'm not afraid to fail mm-hmm. um, so, so that helps that helps you know because if you're not afraid to fail you're more comfortable you know in, in whatever situation that you're in um, the other thing that i do it's a little bit more practical is uh i'm a big trigger squeezer now um, i used to be a trigger puncher mm-hmm. and under the pressure you can get some really weird stuff happen when you punch the trigger because you can do it so quick with almost no settling time you know you see the pin where you want it punch 
you know, the bow might be moving. There's no telling what's going on inside your head, you know, when you're a trigger puncher. Um, so, I don't know, maybe 10, 12, you know, more than that. 12, 15 years ago, took some tips from some really, really good hunters and some really good archers, and I started squeezing the trigger. And uh, it takes a while to force yourself to do that, so you got to shoot a couple of does, you know, and kind of get that out of your system. But if you've got a deer standing there and, and you have to take the extra second or second and a half or whatever it is to squeeze the trigger rather than punch it, that seems to bring that tension or that, that whatever you want to call it, that anxiety to a screeching halt. Mm. Um, so, so rather than this thing running out of control and then you rush the shot and you're looking at it later going, what the heck? You know, that, <laughs> that physical attempt and mental attempt to squeeze the trigger slows that whole moment down and it allows you to settle in a little bit more because you know you're not going to squeeze the trigger when it's on his neck, you know, because why would you do that? You know, mm-hmm. But you might punch it, you know, or who knows what you're going to do when you're punching. So yeah. when, when you know you're going to be squeezing the trigger, you take that extra second and you get that pin to settle before you start to squeeze. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's made a huge difference for me, you know, on being able to execute with a lot of, you know, a lot of stress going through me. Uh, and, and I think it applies really well to the guys that are shooting targets too. Yeah, for you know, it's sure. It's easy to shoot in your backyard, but you know you get to the you know the 3D tournament or whatever, and all your buddies are laughing at you, and you're trying to <laughs> pull off a 45 yard shot at a squirrel or whatever. You know, <laughs> you, you probably better not be a trigger puncher. Yeah. If you are a trigger puncher, you might be looking for that arrow. Yeah, no <laughs> yeah. kidding. Well, Bill, we really yeah. appreciate your time today, man. It's been great getting to talk to you, and I want to let you know that uh, I have a ton of respect for you and also Midwest Whitetail because of how good your production is and just how informative it is to hunters. It, 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 it cuts a lot of the, uh, the hoopla and, and really uh, is very educational, very helpful, and also very entertaining. And I also wanted to tell you thanks for, uh, for being willing to share your faith some on, on your production because that takes a lot of guts, and that's something that Tyler and I try to do as well, and I just really respect, respect that man. So thank, thanks for doing that. Um, I wanted to, uh, I guess, kind of close with a pretty broad question, and it's not a, not really a shot placement question, but, okay, you can't pick Iowa, but <laughs> if you could hunt somewhere else, where would be your other favorite place to hunt? So what, what is my goal? Uh, I guess overall experience and, of course, mature bugs. Just having fun. Yes, sir. Uh, I think to have fun... It's hard to beat Texas. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Come down. You know, seriously. <laughs> you know, I've hunted there quite a bit, and I've had a lot of fun hunting in Texas. Uh-huh. You know, I've not killed my biggest deer there, but I've had some of my most fun hunts there. Sure. Uh, when it comes to killing, where am I going to kill my biggest deer? For example, let's say, and people have asked me this question before, what if your life depended on it and you had to kill a Boone and Crockett buck, <laughs> where would you hunt? <clears throat> well, you know, there's a lot of different ways to answer that. You know, I'd probably hunt someplace where I can legally fly, you know, if my life depended on it, you know, I'd <laughs> yeah. find that deer. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, uh-huh. But but just to throw that aside, if it was a state where I had to go and just, you know, put in my time and, and try to kill a big deer, you know, I think that, I mean, obviously Iowa's really good. Kansas is good. Um, there's some spot in some of these other like, Great Plains states where the deer are pretty easy to kill because they don't have a lot of options. Mm-hmm. You know, like you've got a, you know, a creek running through, you know, 20 square miles or 30 square miles, and it's the only cover around, and nobody hunts that spot. If I can get in there, I'm probably going to kill a really nice deer. Um, but you know, it's just it's, it really is. Put it this way: success really comes down on big deer. Comes down to neighborhoods. A state is way too broad. You say, well, what county? Sure. You're still too broad. You're still too broad. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I can pick generic counties. 
But again, within that county, I have to be in the right neighborhood. So it really is about neighborhoods for, for white-tailed deer, and you guys know that down there. I mean, some sure. ranches are awesome, and if you border that ranch, you're going to have great hunting, and if you don't border it, you border public land someplace, it's going to be a struggle. So, yeah, it's a, I'm, I'm eluding your, or, or evading your question. But. <laughs> no, it's a great answer. And, and it's funny to bring that the regionality part up because uh, Tyler and I always, uh, and, and I get it, the, there are great places to hunt in Texas. And I love where we hunt too, but, you know, we hunt in the, the more eastern side of the state, and it's just a lot different. You know, and people always dream of Texas, like, oh, Texas is the place where you rattle deer in. Like, it's a lot different than that. But, you know, you're right. It, it really depends a lot more on, you know, specifically where you're at and what the neighbors are like. So that's a good point, Bill. Well, thanks so much for, for coming on here with us today, man. We really appreciate uh, everything that you're doing over at Midwest Whitetail and, and respect what you've been able to put together there. Can you uh, let our listeners know kind of the best way to, you know, see what y'all are doing, what you have going on? Yeah, I mean, the, our, our um, media plays in a lot of different places now. I mean, obviously, I'd love for people to come to our website, MidwestWhitetail.com, uh, because, you know, for us, that creates the most value for our sponsors because, you know, that's where we control the message. Mm-hmm. But, you know, our, our stuff plays on YouTube, on the Midwest Whitetail channel. We've got a uh, Midwest Whitetail Daily channel on YouTube as well when, where we put up daily video blogs, especially during the season. Uh, we're also on... Uh, We've got a, a, we call it OTT, you know, over the top, which is a streaming channel that you can watch on Roku, Amazon Fire, and Apple TV uh, called Whitetail TV. So if you find the Whitetail TV app uh, on on any of those three platforms, you can you can catch our stuff there. Um, but again, I mean, if you're really excited about what we do, the the most relevant content and the most timely content is on the MidwestWhitetail.com website. Yeah. Very cool, Bill. Well, we'll be sure and link to all that in our show notes today. And, uh, again, man, I just can't tell you enough how uh, thankful I am for you coming on here and spending a little time with us. Yeah, my pleasure. And uh, it was fun, guys, and good luck on your fishing. Hey, thanks, man. <laughs> Thank we'll, we'll keep you updated. I don't know how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't do that. <laughs> good luck this season, you Bill. You make me jealous. <laughs> okay, you have a good day. All right, see you, Bill. Well, we got the cold front. Now we just need deer season to be open. God, so, no kidding, man. So we can try out some of these thoughts, man. I'm, you know, like jumping the string is one of those things that I am, I have been worried about for years now. Like I have tried to f- understand it better. And luckily I haven't had any issues with it, but I haven't had any really like shots over like probably like 25 yards in the last several years. I mean, so it's just kind of. Maybe that's something to be said too. Maybe like I shouldn't. Maybe that's a reason to shoot deer at close range. You know, so it you is, don't have to worry but about man, it. And sometimes, especially if you're hunting more open country, sometimes you're not going to have deer at 25 yards. You that's know, true. it's a great rule. Yeah. But sometimes you just got to learn how to, you know, or you might have to adapt. Yeah. Um, well, and we talk about this. I've talked about this to you before, but like, at what range did the natives go? Eh, I'm not going to take that shot. You know what probably I'm saying? hardly ever. Yeah, probably hardly ever. Yeah, but I bet if that, I bet if there was a deer on the plains at 200 yards and they had shot their bow at that range before, they were probably gonna fling one. Yeah, you know, and try That's to true, get a shot. But they had no restrictions on, like, well, he ran to the other property with an air in his butt. I can't go get him. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, <that's> like, true. <laughs> they don't have to deal with that. Yeah. So, and I don't know. I, I feel like, and this is something that we might talk about in another episode, but. None of us truly hunt for sustenance. Hmm. We, 
like to eat what we kill, but we don't have to. We can all go to the grocery store and buy chicken if we need to, you know. So I feel like there's a little bit of an ethical responsibility that we have that, you know, natives or people who are hunting for bushmeat don't have to worry about because mm-hmm. their thing is like, hey, me and my family need to eat tonight. Mm-hmm. You know, you and I don't really have to deal with that. Yeah, yeah we want success. And, and organic and, you know, like self-provision, I guess, but like, you know what I mean? Like, we want that kind of meat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, so like, there's, yeah. like, there is. If you want your family to eat that meat, you know, on the contrary, I guess to what you say, or in the contrast, like there is, um, you know, like there some maybe it's a hard to say this. I guess some of the ethic may go out the window if you really want to be self-sustained a little bit more. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? And I hate to say it, like, that sounds super controversial, but I'm not saying, like, there is no ethic. I'm just saying, like, maybe the, maybe the yardage is raised another five yards, you know yeah. what I mean? I mean, so. and I'm the guy who's been practicing at 80, like, only <laughs> for the last two weeks. <laughs> yeah. But not because I intend to shoot whitetails at that distance, but right. anyways, yeah. uh, I, I just feel like you should take shots you're comfortable with, and if you're mm-hmm. comfortable with a 200-yard shot, then do it. Yeah. But well, I was comfortable people are. last year at 23. Yeah. And... You know, we made a film over that deer. It's called Nameless. If you want to go watch <laughs> yeah. it, feel free. Uh, it's been well received, though, in all honesty. And thank you guys for all the wonderful comments and and uh, the shares and the, the support on Facebook. The messages, man, that you guys have sent us through social media, like, man, that's just uh, that kind of bolsters our attitudes going into the season and just uh, gives us a lot of excitement and hope. Um, trying to capture something like that again. Um, the, one of the best parts for you guys, uh, about this nameless film is there's a contest going on around it. Casey, can you lay that out for us? There's actually two contests, two giveaways that we're doing, uh, for, um, Facebook shares. We're giving away two Onyx memberships and for, uh, YouTube comments, we're giving away a Exodus Trek trail camera. Mm-hmm. So good chances to win there. We're going to announce the winners for that on Facebook live, on September 24th, which yep. is the day or the Monday after I get back from Colorado. Yeah. So that's exciting. It's coming up soon. And I'm going to go ahead and say this. Like, there's been a lot of Facebook shares, and you still have pretty decent odds of winning this thing um, because we gave, we're we now up to two Onyx memberships. But the YouTube comments, like, you have a really good chance right now yeah. of winning a $150 trail camera. Yeah. Yeah, that's a – I'm – I commented on it. <laughs> yeah. Hey, if I win it, man, I don't care. If I get drawn randomly, I'm winning this thing. I'm taking it and putting it in the woods somewhere, man. Yeah. So, but it really is. It's really good odds. You can go in there and read through the comments on the YouTube video if you want and see like, oh, there's only this many comments. I've got this many, you know, one in however many chances. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty good. But don't comment just because you want to win something. You know, yeah. comment because you like it. But, you know, I think most of the people have. Yeah. Like, I feel like the comments are really genuine, and some of them are, like, a paragraph long, you know? Mm-hmm. It's not just like, good job, guys, you yeah. know? So I think that's really cool, and uh, and once again, thank you guys for that. And we also appreciate the, just the good job, guys, too. Don't yeah. Worry. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. It's all good, man. Positive, anything we can do to, to uh, shine positive light into the Internet space, I think, is a good thing, you know what I mean? No kidding. Um, but on the on another note, or on a similar note, we've got uh, another video that I just put out that... Um, is shooting at close range. So um, I think, like, 
even if you're an expert, you might could learn something from this video. Um, I know I'm not an expert at shooting at close range. I've shot, you know, a couple of deer maybe at, at pretty close range. And um, just by shooting and trying to do this video and shooting in the process, I learned a few things um, during the video shoot. So I, hopefully you guys uh, can see that and, and maybe pick up a tip or two. And if, if you're kind of new to this stuff, I mean, I definitely think that there's something to be learned there. So hopefully that'll help you guys make a good shot on a deer if you're uh, setting up in the right spot and that deer happens to come straight to your tree, which is what I kind of hope for this year. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, it would be nice. You know, I, after you said that, I don't think I've ever shot a deer less than 28 yards. I've never shot a deer... 28 yards or more yeah i've, I've tried a deer at 27 yards most of my deer have been like in that 30 to 35 range dude that's yeah. cool mm -hmm. we have like but we cover the whole span it kind of makes me think that i need to work on like getting closer maybe you know yeah i remember last year we were in kansas we had like first afternoon we had like a doe come to like probably five seven oh, yards spit on her <laughs> in case he was like i don't think he breathed for like five minutes <laughs> i looked over his face was blue <laughs> but uh yeah it's it's uh it's cool man i mean that's why we bow hunt and get close yeah, to them you yeah. know so 30 30 yards is pretty close yeah, though, too. <laughs> when you're 30 yards sounds like a long ways like if you like had to walk with like 10 bags of groceries but like when you're in a tree stand looking at a deer like they're in your face at 30 yards <laughs> that was a funny analogy <laughs> yeah, well, it's real world right <laughs> yeah exactly exactly well i think it's about time for us to get out of here uh casey's got to get to work last day of work and then it is it is elk time y'all wish me luck yeah is it supposed to be pretty cold up there no no mm -hmm. uh actually the high not on the mountain but in the town that we go to before we go up the mountain the highs have been about 10 degrees warmer than here the past wow. three or four days dang that's salt lake city right yeah yeah cool man that's cool it's but it's weird because we've had this strange cold front around the house but yeah. uh it's, it's crazy uh, dude yeah but i imagine it's gonna be like well not quite as cold as last year doesn't seem on on top of the mountain it's it gonna pretty be cold a couple yeah, of we mornings. Had frost and stuff you know this year is probably gonna be i mean we might have some frost you never know but cause the temperature always seems to be colder than what they actually forecast it mm -hmm. as up there but i imagine we're gonna be lows in the mid 40s highs in the 70s yeah those there was a couple good, mornings days. we had to get turned back to peach if you know what i mean Ooh, it was so cold <laughs> yeah yeah well cool man so good luck with everything i know i'll be talking to you but uh, i'm sure everybody else is sending you good vibes i yep. know how you like good please, vibes. please do <laughs> yeah all right well god bless you guys hope you're getting out in it and remember this is your element living it Clean and protect your firearms with Riptide Armory. Riptide, a veteran-founded business, is dedicated to producing American-made cleaning chemicals and also dedicated to creating American jobs. And that commitment is embodied in every product that's bottled, labeled, and shipped from their Arvada, Colorado facility. Safe for all firearm types and surfaces. Embrace the power of American ingenuity and protect your firearms with the best. Visit RiptideArmory.com. I've been telling you guys about Land.com to help you find a place to call your own and do all the hunting and fishing and hanging with the family that you want. While owning your own piece of land is something that can generate memories, I can speak to this personally because my family, we own a couple small, beautiful little 
backcountry parcels. It can also generate income in both the near and long term, like starting a rental business slash family compound that can benefit both this and future generations. Check out the hundreds of thousands of rural listings from across America. Enough dreaming about it. Land.com is the place to find and invest in your open space. 